Well, good morning, everyone. We are continuing our series, Unlearning Religion, and we started this last week, and it really is um, in an effort to make sure that we don't confuse things that get confused quite a bit. Uh, sometimes we mix up tradition and history, and sometimes maybe even just perceptions that we have uh, with authentic true faith. And that has always been a problem throughout the years, and it's always kind of part of the church world, that these things are kind of intertwined in a way that is sometimes hard to even sort out. But as we started the discussion last week, we said that we're defining religion for the sake of this series is those kind of structures and traditions that humans have kind of put up around faith. Those things aren't always wrong. Okay, those things are good sometimes. You have to kind of develop some systems and and organize things. And there's traditions that emerge over time, like, you know, how do you do a worship service and how do you do these things? Those things are they're not always right or wrong, but sometimes we they can get in the way of authentic faith and we can confuse things. In fact, last week we started the series looking at Matthew 23, and we're kind of doing part one last week and part two today, where Jesus had his uh, biggest criticism for people that put religious structures above authentic faith and really harmed other people in many ways. And so Jesus had some incredible um, kind of criticism for the religious leaders of his time and of his day. Um, A question that I have for you is something that I ponder quite a bit because I think it's very telling about like what's going on in different people's minds and emotions and sometimes even subconsciously going on is I ask uh, myself the question is what makes me angry? What makes me really mad? All right, and and if you could take a second to think about that personally, what is it that like really like gets the blood pressure going in your life? What is it if somebody does this, says this, whatever it may be, like in that moment, you know, ooh, I'm gonna have an emotional reaction at that point in time. I'm gonna have like all of a sudden, I'm gonna I'm gonna be on edge if if this person says this, you know, like like we all have some of those things in our life, and and it may be, uh, you know, for me. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what one of them is. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, can, can I confess to you? You guys are gracious people here. All right. You are. You're wonderfully kind. You won't walk out if I uh, express like some of my some of my shortcomings or, or faults, will you? But like, what really, what really makes me mad, really, really makes me mad, is uh, tardiness. When people are late to things, like it really frustrates me. I'm one of these people, and. And I've, I've talked to my wife about this many times. We've had many discussions. She, you know, I'll say, all right, all right, the night before, we're going to go some. We're going, this is going to be a tight schedule in the morning. It's going to be tough. So listen, everybody has to be sitting in the car at 7.30. And then we'll, you, you never know what traffic is going to be like. If we, if we leave at 7.35, we could be late. So I want everyone to know, I'm going to bed. I want everyone to know, tomorrow morning, in the car, 7.30, wheel, the, the, we're, wheels up. We're out. We're out at 7.30. And every time it rolls around, I'm sitting in the car by myself with it running, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, where is everybody? I'm texting them from the car. I'm calling them. Uh, I go inside. 
it's time to go, everybody. We're going to be late. And then, like, oh, yeah, we'll be there. And, and my blood pressure starts going. And then we're driving off. And, and um, I start driving really fast. And it's mostly it's, my, it's like me making a point or being, like, kind of a jerk. Um, and I'm, I'm like, all right, we're going to be late if we don't hustle up. Sorry. Sorry. I might have to run a couple of stoplights. I don't know. Uh, because we're late. And that is just something for me. I just, I just don't like being late. It just drives me crazy. My mother is the same kind of person. I think she passed it down to me that like when she had like something going on, if like you invite my mother over to your house, you have to be ready 20 minutes in advance because she will be there 20 minutes early. If she has a flight to catch, she'll be there three hours early, sitting in the first chair, getting ready to board the plane, sitting there watching her watch just to make sure she does not miss that flight. I, it's, it's, it's like this nervous kind of thing that, that my mother passed down to me. It's good to be on time, but there's times where you have to stop and you have to ask yourself, what are you so fired up about? Why are you so upset? What is going on? And, um, you know, for me, it's probably some anxiety and things like that. And I don't, I just, you know, with certain things, I just get, don't like to have things that are out of my control. But you can ask yourself, we probably all have these things. What is it that makes you angry? What is it that makes you mad? And it probably is telling you something that is deep down or something maybe beneath the surface that shows and reveals your priorities. And it shows and reveals what's significant in your life. And I think it's extremely telling when we look at the scripture here, and we started this last week in Matthew 23, that Jesus is really fired up. And he really gets angry. And so if you weren't here with us last week, we started and we read Matthew 23 and we read verses 1 through 22. And it was a confrontation that Jesus has with the religious leaders where he just kind of goes off and he starts telling them, woe is you for this, for this, for this. Woe is you. And here's the three things that we covered last week. And it all falls under the category of, and this is what Jesus said in Matthew 23. It says, you don't practice what you preach. You have, there is a difference between what you say and what you do. The authenticity there is in question, and that's a problem. And so that under that heading, Jesus gives them kind of three very stern, uh, sternly worded pictures of, you know, what the problem was, is with their mindset. And so he says this to the religious leaders. He said, he said that they shut the door to the kingdom of heaven. That was the first thing he talked about. He said, woe is you because you shut the doors of the kingdom of heaven to other people. So essentially, you're building up these structures or these things that is preventing other people to coming to God. How, how terrible, right? How terrible would it be is if we put up some kind of false, um, you know, maybe tradition or expectation on others that wasn't what God expected of them. And um, he goes on to talk about how, how they go and they convert people, but they make, he, Jesus said, you make them twice the child of hell as you are. That was his second critique. And he was saying, you know, like, you're so worried and consumed about things that don't really matter, and you make people as, as like, kind of religious as you and the third thing he says is that you swear by the gold in the temple. 
And he was talking about kind of some of these somewhat superstitious traditions that they had that they thought held some kind of power. And Jesus was really saying, and he said, you know, that is not what holds power. And we see that Jesus over and over talked about that, you know, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, this is what is really holy. It's your actions and your motives, not, not these structures or these things. And so Jesus gave lots of criticism, kind of just looking at these people that, you know, sometimes they dressed this part, they looked this part, they said these things to, put, to kind of present this front of piety and religiousness that said, you know, I am doing the right things, but deep down inside, behind the scenes, there was problems, and it wasn't authentic. And so Jesus gets really mad. Let me give you a suggestion, okay? Just a little simple little side note, little, little, little point of advice, little fatherly advice, okay? Don't make Jesus mad, all right? That, that, that's some good advice, right? That's some good fatherly advice. Don't get Jesus mad at you, okay? So if Jesus is getting mad at these religious structures, um, that's probably something where you want to say, okay, time out. I don't want Jesus mad at me, okay? If I'm mad at you for a reason or another, okay, because you're late. No, no, just, no. Okay. Uh, I'll get over it. I know I need to, I need to calm down a little bit about that. But if I get mad at you, okay. If your spouse gets mad at you, you should, you should probably listen and try to work that out. But if Jesus is mad at you, it's time to pay attention, right? It's time to pay attention and say, okay, I better not be doing those types of things. And instead, we should really be thinking about and really be saying, what makes Jesus proud? What makes Jesus like, wow, this is awesome and this is amazing. And we see glimpses of that in scripture as well. And so if, if you're doing something that makes Jesus mad, that is a bad place to be. So that's where, that's where we're at. And we're going to pick up with part two. So Jesus has... These seven warnings where he says, woe is you, woe to you, fill in the blank. And we're going to look at the final four. We looked at the first three last week. So let's go ahead and start in Matthew 23. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 23. It says this, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Okay, let's pause there. And this is Jesus' first warning and first like uh, rebuke that we're looking at today. It's, it's the fourth one. In the series of seven. But he's, he's talking specifically about kind of some of their religious principles that they're trying to follow. And so in some ways, they're doing the right thing, right? It's admirable that they're looking at 
to some of the principles in the Bible that says, hey, you know what? Give of your first fruit. Give a tithe to God. All the things that you have have been, have been given to God, so be generous and give to God. And, he, and there's principles that talk about that. And so they, they, they were very fervent on following that, and they took it to an extreme. They even, they even would, would take their spices and divide it out. I, I don't know how you divide out your mint, dill, and cumin, but they did. And they would like get it together and they say, all right, tenth of that. And they would divide it out. And they were so precise with it. And, and they, were, they were all about this. And they were all about making sure that everybody did that. And everybody followed through on that. And in some ways, you can almost read behind the, behind the lines and look at kind of some of the other interactions Jesus had with these people. And it's kind of like, they were like, ah, look at me. My mint has been tied. And it's kind of, you know, you can almost feel and see like what Jesus is criticizing. Like, look, I have fulfilled everything that God requires of me. Every one of my spices has been tithed and has been given. Can you, can you imagine, and this is something that people can fall into and we have to be careful of, is following the rules really, really closely but missing the point. And I don't know if you've ever, ever fallen into this category before, but I know I am. I'm a little bit like that kind of rigid type of person. What's the rule? What's the rule? All right, I want to follow the rule. I want to do the right thing. I'm following the rule. So, you know, I better, I better do this and show up on time. Um, that's the side note. Uh, no, but, but like sometimes we can get into this world where like, we're going to follow the letter of the law and follow that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good trait, right? It's a good trait to do your best to follow the law. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, you sh- yeah, you should do that. You should, you should follow the rule. You should follow what the, the law commands you. You should, you should do those things. However, if you do it without justice, mercy, and faithfulness, what's the point? What are you doing? If you're following all the rules, but you're a jerk, <laughs> like, like you missed it, right? You missed the heart of God. And it makes me think of and it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 13, where the famous chapter in Scripture de- uh, depicts and demonstrates what true love really is. And it says, Kind of, if you have all other things, like all of these other things that are wonderful, important gifts in God's kingdom, but you don't have love, it's like a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. It's like it's a bunch of noise, but your you, your heart is is you've missed it. You've missed something. Your heart hasn't been transformed. And can you imagine being somebody that spends your whole life saying, I followed all of the rules, God. All of them. All of the rules. And everybody around me didn't follow the rules. I followed all of the rules, God. But can you imagine? And Jesus saying, but your heart. How about your heart? Your heart was far from me. You forgot about all of these other things. Because the point of the law is not to just have people that that dress nice, show up on time, and follow all of God's rules. The point of it is for us to be transformed. 
I think there's a principle that is unpacked in Scripture that we very much need to hear in our time and in our society. There's a principle in Scripture where, where Jesus kind of gets beyond the law, actually. That the law is kind of, in some ways, the law exists because people are rebellious. The law exists, and you have to make boundaries and lines in order to rein in bad behavior. That's really why the law exists. You know, if everyone was safe and courteous on the streets, uh, you wouldn't have to have tons and tons of traffic laws. You wouldn't. But we understand human nature that some people are going to drive, drive crazy, so you have to start making some laws. But the reality is a higher kind of view of ethics, a bigger picture view of ethics, and one that Jesus espouses is it says, can we get even past the law? Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor. That's it. Love God, love your neighbor. If you do those things with all of your heart, you will fulfill all of the law. You'll fulfill it all. But unfortunately, because we are rebellious, unfortunately, because we push it, unfortunately, because we're like the type of people that sometimes want to go right up to the edge and say, how far can I go without getting into trouble? There has to be laws. And that's the reality. And the scripture has them. Cultures have them. Government has them. All of these things. But wouldn't society be much better if it was just kind of lived on a handshake agreement of, I will love you and care for you and I won't do any harm to you. And I'll love God, and I'll respect God, and I'll listen to God, and my heart will be overflowed, oh, just filled up with God's Spirit, and I'll be guided by that. And of course I'm going to follow the law, but it's not because, like, I'm, you know, afraid of breaking a rule or following the rule. It's because my heart has been transformed, and my spirit is in line with God's Spirit. And we're in sync. And so the, the reality is, is you can follow all the rules and miss the complete point of it. And how sad would that be? All the work and all the effort. In some ways, I'm really saddened when I think about the Pharisees. And I'm really saddened when I think about these, these teachers of the law. Because they did a ton of work to follow the law. And in some ways, they're like, look at all the boxes I checked. Look at all of it. Look at all the work I did. But they missed it. And Jesus is, Jesus is very clear with them. That if I give the 10%, but I don't care about others, what's the point? If I do everything right, but in, I have the wrong attitude the whole time, you really can do everything right and do everything wrong at the same time. It's an interesting little dichotomy that Jesus demonstrates, but he gets beyond just kind of the rule following and looks directly into their heart and says, you're missing something. You're missing something here. And so I guess each of us have to ask ourselves, and we have to kind of have that heart check moment and ask ourselves, am, am I missing it in some ways? You know, you, I, I've seen this displayed in multiple different ways. And all of us maybe can find different ways in our life where we said, I, did, I followed the rule, but I missed the point. 
You know, I think about, I think about, you know, maybe just to give an example or a stereotypical idea is that, you know, maybe a father coming home and saying, I brought home all this money for my family. I brought this to you. Look at how much work I did. Look at all the effort I did. You didn't appreciate me. And you come home and you, you ignore your kids. Kind of a picture of that, right? It's like doing everything right, but doing everything wrong at the same time. Kind of doing everything right, but missing the point. You know, your kids, yes, they're grateful that you brought home money, but man, they'd also like a father. They'd also like a relationship. Wow, you just kind of missed the point of the whole relationship here, right? The point wasn't you just providing money and like feeding us. The point was, we want you. And we've seen this picture play out time and time again. How sad, right? And we doing everything right, but still doing everything wrong at the same time. You know, maybe it could fall into the category of being in the church, where you, where you show up and you serve in the church. You show up early and you help out and you do things and you, you set up and you, you serve in the kids' ministry and you do all these things. But in some ways, I don't love my neighbor. That would be doing everything right, but doing everything wrong, right? If you show up and serve and you do all this stuff, but you don't have love in your heart for others, wow, talk about Talk about missing the point. So there's multiple pictures of this that we can look at. And we all have to look at these things and say, I don't want to make Jesus mad. I better do a heart check. And I better say, God, is my heart right with you? Do I have the right spirit? Or am I missing something? The past couple of weeks, you know, I, I have a second job at Vista Peak Exploratory. I help out on occasion with uh, lunch and recess time. And as you can imagine, there's about, you know, 120 to 200 kids out on the playground at a time. If you have 120 kids to 200 kids that you're responsible for, it can be a little stressful. You have to have some boundaries. You have to have some rules. And so, like, as a group, we'll meet together and we'll talk about things. And, and, and typically how it goes, if things are, things are, you know, it's busy. There's lots of kids. We have lots of kids at the school and stuff. Everybody will kind of, like, get out and they'll start, like, we got we to gotta get some more rules going. And I, I appreciate that. There, it's really important. There's a purpose for it. But I'm kind of the rebellious type with that. Because, because first and foremost, I just, I like hanging out with the kids. Okay? I like hanging out with the kids. And I, I kind of like, I kind of like to like push it a little bit and like maybe be at the center of some mischief around the kids sometimes in the playground. And so I like that. I think our world has got a little bit too sanitized. It's like, you know, touch football is kind of like, if you look at somebody, they're down. And if you like, if you, if you roll down the hill, it's possible you hit your head on a rock and you don't know where it's going to, you know, all these things. And I'm like, eh, whatever. They're going to get hurt. They're kids. They'll, they'll be all right. They'll survive. I kind of have that perspective. I always have as a parent, my wife counterbalances me, which is important or else my kids Kids probably wouldn't have survived to this point in time. But like I'm the type of person that's kind of like, eh, all right. And 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 so I get in the, these meetings and stuff, and they're like, we we gotta get the kids off the rocks, we gotta get the kids off the hill, we gotta get the kids off. And I'm kind of like, and I'm sitting back and I'm 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 gonna try to follow the rules, but but there was a point in time at a recent meeting I was sitting there, I was like, we are talking about recess, right? And it should we should remember that it, it still should be fun. 
Recess should be fun. And recess, there, we, we, we shouldn't suck every ounce of joy out of every kid's life. I know there's got to be rules, but let me be, the, let me be the devil's advocate on the other side. Let's, there should be some joy at recess, right? Can you imagine living a life where you don't have joy following the creator of the universe? Oh my goodness. It's almost as crazy as going to recess and having no fun. It's recess. If you can't have fun at recess, there's a problem. If you're a kid and you can't have fun at recess, there is a serious problem. And that takes a lot of work by adults to make sure recess isn't fun, right? And sometimes I feel like maybe we treat the Christian experience somewhat like that. It's possible. It's possible to look at the Christian experience and just like absolutely say, follow the rule, follow the rule, follow the rule. This, is, this isn't fun. Don't you be singing nice songs. You know, we have to follow this rule and miss it. People, this is joyful. This is a gift. This is a wonderful thing. The creator of the universe has engaged us in a relationship. Oh my goodness. How can we not be people that... Have justice and mercy and faithfulness. How can we miss that? Second one Jesus says in verse 25. It says, woe to you. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean, you clean outside the cup and dish, but inside. They're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and dish. And then the outside also Will be clean. I'm going to continue on to the next one because they're they're similar with slightly different points. So the um, sixth one is this in verse 27: "Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside." You are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus makes the same analogy twice in two different ways and kind of gives a little subtle difference, but similar point he's making. You know, the first one, he said, you know, you're like a cup and you uh, you clean the outside and you look great on the outside, but in the inside you're dirty. Obviously, that's a problem. Obviously, you're missing something. And then he says in the second analogy, he's like, you're like a beautiful whitewashed tomb. You're like a beautiful tombstone that is, it is beautiful and looks perfect. But we know what's in the inside, right? Dead bones. And uh, so what Jesus is saying two times here with these two analogies is like, what's inside is more important than what's outside. What is going on inside with your attitude, with your spirit, all of these things is more important than what is outside. And the first point and the first criticism he makes in the first analogy is he says that you're full of um, greed and self-indulgence. That it's greed and self-indulgence. You know, this is what Jesus is talking about is he's saying that your motives behind what you're doing here is missing it. That obviously it's greed and self-indulgence that's the motive. And there's probably times, if we're honest with ourselves, that it 
we are being pious or trying to show the world uh, like our holiness or dress the part for the religious um, kind of the religious look. And the reality is the purpose of it is self-glorification. It's piety for self-glorification. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's greed and self-indulgence. That's what you care about. You want to look good. You want to look good and you want other people to think of you well. That's what you care about. And you also, there's a greed factor involved there too. That you want to move up maybe your status, but maybe there's a financial gain that, can, that, that, that you can get as a result of looking the part. But inside, I see right through you. You know, it's, it's, it's scary and dangerous. Could you imagine walking around when Jesus was on earth and he can see through all of the, the fronts that we put up and he can see through all of this stuff that we try to portray to the world and he sees right to the heart of the issue. And this is what Jesus does in this moment. Wow. It's, it's kind of terrifying. I mean, wouldn't it, be a, wouldn't it be a little bit terrifying to be walking around in Jesus' time and Jesus show up and all of a sudden you realize... All of your thoughts are laid bare to the God of the universe. You cannot hide your motives. You can, you can present and say, I'm doing great. I'm doing well. I'm doing awesome. But God looks at you, whoa, and looks right through it all. And that's what Jesus does. And he looks right through that. Fortunately, we don't have to, we're not religious leaders 2,000 years ago. And Jesus is showing up and like pointing out all of our flaws. But there will be a day where we stand before God. Can you imagine? And all of the pretense and all of the other things that maybe we've put up and projected to other people will be completely empty and worthless. And Jesus is saying, if you have piety for your own self-glorification, beware. Beware. And so, you know what? If, if you're... You're like thinking about preparing yourself for like coming to church on Sunday. Or you're thinking about like what you need to do to get yourself in order for church. You, your first thought shouldn't be what should I wear and how should, you know, like I project myself. Your first thought should be is, man, I need to search my heart. Sometimes we might need to be vulnerable enough to admit that, you know, I got some sins in my life that I need help with. I need to repent of some things. The scripture tells us that, you know, it's a powerful thing when we confess our sins one to another. You know what? That is scary stuff, terrifying stuff. But what Jesus points out to these people that put up this affront of perfection is, I see right through it. So what's more important to you? Really being right with God or looking the part? What's more important? And so piety for self-glorification is very dangerous. And it's a dangerous thing that we can fall into. And so we need to make sure that the inside of the dish is clean first. And when the inside of the dish is clean, the dish will be clean. Okay? It'll take care of itself. So the second point that Jesus makes was similar. The, the whitewashed tombs and the dead, empty bones inside. And I kind of think that there's a slightly different point. Is he saying, you know, like, like maybe you look like you look in the part, but inside there's no feeling, no empathy. It's just kind of dead. It's cold. 
You know, in some places in Scripture it says, has your heart, has, has your heart grown cold? Do you have a heart of stone? Do you, you know, what, what is inside you? And the question that we should be asking is, you know, when is the last time that my heart was really compelled and moved by God? When is the last time that I had an emotional response and reaction be, recognizing the God of the universe, being in the presence of God? When is the last time my heart was broken for those around me? Or, or am I dead? Am I completely dead inside? Am I complete, a whitewashed tomb and dead bones inside? And so it's a great thing that all of us need to, you know, we can ask ourselves is, if, if I'm dead inside, what happened? What's going on? Where did I miss that? Where, where did I lose that empathy, that care, that compassion, that kindness, all these things that should be a part of our life as we, we live in this world and we recognize it's, it's not the way that God would want it to be. So he, he criticizes them for that beautiful picture outside, but inside kind of no empathy, no compassion, no graciousness to any of the people that they interacted with. It was cold. And they missed it. The last one is in verse 29. It says this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would have not taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Very interesting phrase. Um, So... So you testify against yourselves that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. Very interesting prophetic words that Jesus utters right here. You understand that there is a long history of people who are the religious people getting out, like kind of, kind of going astray and leading people astray and God calling prophetic voices to come in and correct the errors. And so all throughout the Old Testament, there's these books of the prophets where these prophetic people came and said, we have to repent. We have to get back to what God intended. We have gone astray. We've missed it. And many of these prophets were persecuted. Many of these prophets were, were like not listened to and ignored. And some of them were put to death. All of these prophetic voices in scripture and he says they kind of say it's kind of like they're looking back at history and say nah we probably shouldn't have done that one you know great grandpa or whatever uh put to death some of those prophets ah we we're not like them and jesus says i think you are and prophetically he looks at them and he's saying Go ahead and complete what your ancestors started, knowing that in the coming days and months, what would happen is he would be hung on a cross. He knew and realized that partially because of their outrage at Jesus' message, he would be put to death. And he's like, I know what you're going to do. You're going to kill me. Because I'm, I'm, I'm shaking your religious walls. And I'm like kind of pointing out some of these things. You're going to put me to death. And that's in fact what happened. And so Jesus looks at them and it kind of gives us some context why Jesus is 
pretty fired up is you understand that this is life and death going on and there's people that are in the name of God holding others back from the kingdom of heaven. Oh my goodness, and Jesus is fired up. Rightfully so. We have to make sure people of the church, people who are representing God in this world now, people who are proclaiming and saying that we're like, we're trying to carry on the tradition of Jesus. Oh my goodness, we need to be very cautious and aware that we don't fall into these traps, right? We have to make sure that we don't put up our traditions and religious things. We don't act in, act in uh, with hypocrisy like they did. We practice what we preach and our hearts are tender to the world and things going on around it. Oh my goodness, right? What if we make Jesus mad? And I'm sure if we look throughout history and time, that there's many times Jesus has looked at the church and said, oh, what are we doing? In verse 33, Jesus kind of concludes his thoughts. He says this, you snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. So right was was Jesus. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous uh, Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of uh, I can't pronounce it, whom you murder between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Verse 37 says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus has this kind of monologue at the end that reveals his heart. And he kind of cheerfully is saying, Oh, Jerusalem, the people that I rose up to represent me have missed the mark. And so I have so longed to kind of gather you together and shepherd you and care for you and help you understand what the heart of God really is, but you just, you've missed it. And it's, it's pretty amazing. It's one of the, one, one of the uh, scripture references, the shortest scripture reference in the Bible is when Jesus came upon Jerusalem shortly after this, and he, or, or, or he came upon Jerusalem and he looks over and he starts weeping, just looking at the city. Same kind of tone right here. Saying, oh, Jerusalem, you've missed it. How sad is it when people like take these things and they build all these big religious walls and they miss the heart of God. How sad, how sad it is. And Jesus is sorrowful in this moment. He quotes Psalm 118.26. And he says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so that's kind of the call for us. And that's what Jesus is calling us to be. He's calling us to be the people that really come in the name of the Lord. To be the ones that bring a blessing to other people. 
to bring the ones that authentically have faith that has changed us, to authentically be the people who practice what we preach, to authentically be the people who love things like mercy and justice and faithfulness, to authentically be the people who the inside of the dish is clean. And our hearts are not dead bones. It's not like we got nothing inside, but no, we're compelled by God's spirit and we're transformed and we're changed. He's saying, blessed are those ones because, wow, they come in the name of the Lord. We're going to go towards our time of communion. But I want to take a moment to reflect and to pause and to ask ourselves, where is it that my heart is? Quite, to, to put it plainly, I would say, are you living an attractive faith? Are you living a faith that is vital, that is powerful, that is attractive, that is compassionate, joyful, loving? Are you living a faith that other people would see and say, wow, that's something that I don't have. That is a beautiful picture. Are you showing the world with your relationship with Jesus what God is like, what faith is really like? Or instead, and this is the warning of hypocrisy that Christ gives us, or instead are we, are we living a miserable existence, missing the point, maybe even following the rules, but missing the point? Jesus calls us to live a faith that is authentic, to have a relationship with God that is, that, is, that is powerful, inviting, and beautiful. And if we miss that, we need to reflect and we need to take a time out and we need to ask ourselves, what's missing God? So will you pray with me? God, it just, it haunts me thinking about you being angry with people that represent you. God, I know there's been times I've stood on this stage, there's been times that I've represented you, and I've missed the point. God, forgive me. And so, God, as we look at these words that echo through time, we ask that you reveal to us where our hearts are far from you. That you reveal to us and, and show us where we, we're, we're missing the point. So God, I pray today that you would come right here, right now, and speak to us. That you would soften our heart. And God, we humbly say, God, we're sorry. We repent of the times that we lived, a hip, we lived in hypocrisy. We didn't practice what we preached. God, forgive us. And we pray, God, that you would do something in us, that you would, you would help us to, 
Really feel that you're right here, right now. You do something in our hearts and lives and help us to be transformed by your spirit. God, if nothing else, I pray that we would be captivated and we would be in sync with what you want in this world. That our hearts would be close to yours. I want to invite you right now to offer your own prayers to God. Be open and honest with God about the Areas in your, your life where your heart is not where it should be. Be open and honest about those aspects of your life that are hypocritical. And simply cry out to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I repent. Forgive me. Take a moment to offer those prayers to God. God.